Welcome to the U.S.-China Dialogue Podcast from Georgetown University. This podcast series explores diplomacy and dialogue between China and the United States during the four decades since normalization of relations in 1979. We'll hear from former ambassadors, cabinet secretaries, and White House advisors who will share how they shape the course of the most complex relationship in international diplomacy today. I'm your host, James Green. Today on the podcast, we talk with Ambassador Zhou Wenzhong. When the official plaque went up for the first time on the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C. on January 1st, 1979, Zhou Wenzhong was a young interpreter and assistant to the Chinese ambassador to the U.S. A month after the inauguration of that new Chinese embassy, Joe and his colleagues were busy handling the most important visit of a Chinese leader to the U.S. since the founding of the People's Republic in 1949. On that remarkable trip in 79, Paramount leader Deng Xiaoping visited President Carter in the White House. Here's Carter telling his guest, Vice Premier Deng, about serving in the U.S. Navy in the Chinese port city of Qingdao as the Chinese Civil War was ending with a communist victory. When I was in Tsingtao in 1949, in April, the uh, Chinese forces were surrounding the city, and the, the Vice Premier says he was in charge of those <laughs> The Deng visit was, for Zhou Wenzhong, the beginning of a successful career in the Chinese foreign ministry. Zhou spent the better part of three decades involved in and shaping the government-to-government interaction across the Pacific, including later as Chinese ambassador in Washington and as vice minister in Beijing, in charge of relations with the U.S. After retiring from the foreign ministry, Zhou continued to advance Chinese foreign policy goals by running the Boao Forum for Asia, China's answer to the World Economic Forum in Davos. But we start with Ambassador Zhou's unusual opportunity to study overseas in the mid-1970s, during the height of the Cultural Revolution, when most places of learning in China were still shuttered. Ambassador Zhou Wenzhong, thank you so much for coming. So great to see you. My pleasure. Um, I just wanted to start, before getting to your time in the foreign ministry and uh, in the United States as ambassador, how you got interested in the United States in the first place, and a little bit about your personal background and academic career, and then entering the foreign ministry. Could you talk a little bit about that, where you're from? I actually uh, uh, was a graduate of the uh, Beijing Foreign Trade Institute. Uh, but then, of course, uh, I was sent to England to study for two years. So after I came back, I was uh, uh, recruited by the foreign ministry. And so that's how I started uh, to be a, a Chinese diplomat. So at that time, and what year, sorry, were you studying in England? That's, uh, uh, 73 to 75. Wow. So in the middle of the Cultural Revolution, yes, yes. you went to England. Right, right, right. And then were you required to then do government service as a kind of um, fun pay, as a kind of um, work after getting your degree or your studies in England? Or was it your choice to decide what you wanted to do? Uh, actually, I before I was selected uh, to be uh, a student to go to England, I worked for the uh, Diplomatic Service Bureau uh-huh. in Beijing. Mm-hmm. I see. So I was actually uh, worked as an interpreter at the uh, Sri Lanka Embassy. At the Sri Lankan in, Embassy? In China. Wow. And in you were Beijing. an English interpreter, is that right? Right, right, right. I see. Wow. Yeah. And, and where are you from originally? I'm really, from Shanghai. From Shanghai. Yeah. Wow. So um, thank you. Wonderful. So then you came back, you entered the foreign ministry. Yes. And uh, I wanted to start by your first 
tour into the United States, which I think was in the late 70s, early 1980s. Is that correct? Uh, actually, uh, I started working at the Ch uh, Chinese embassy uh, in, uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, working for the ambassador at that time, Cai Zeming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I was going to ask, um, yeah. that was your first trip to the United States? You yes. had studied in England? Yes. And then your first job was to be the kind of personal secretary or assistant to the ambassador? Assistant to the ambassador. Oh, so yeah. that's in the Chinese... Actually, a translator. A translator, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. So was there another person who was also the assistant, or you were the assistant and the translator both? Uh, both. I both. see. Yeah, so yeah, a, pretty, yeah, yeah. a pretty big job. And so what do you remember? It was right around the time of normalization in uh, 1979. What was your recollection of that time of working in what I think was must have been the old Chinese embassy, which I know is still your, right, your right. property? That's right. What, what, uh, what do you remember about that time and your interaction with the State Department or U.S. officials from the late 1970s? Uh, before the normalization, of course, uh, China was represented there uh, by the, uh, uh, the office. Mm -hmm. We have an office in Washington and you have an office, a liaison uh, office. Uh, liaison mm -hmm. office uh, in Beijing. So it's a the other office, uh, but uh, on, the other, on the other hand, uh, the staff of the the other office uh, uh, were entitled to <coughs> the treatment of diplomats. Yeah. Good point, which means diplomatic <coughs> protections <coughs> of, of people who are there. <coughs> and so on January 1st, 1979, uh, what did the Chinese liaison office and then the Chinese embassy do to commemorate that? Or was there any changing of plaques or of your physical um, Yeah, there was, a, there was a change of back. Yeah. And did you guys have a ceremony for that or just one day? Yeah, it's a, it, yeah. there was a, a, a brief ceremony, ceremony mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Well, uh, and then you were there during uh, President Reagan's well, election, that is the election between Carter and Reagan. As a foreign diplomat posted there, you were serving the ambassador. What do you recall as the um, uh, job of the embassy during a U.S. presidential election? as for that time, the first time that a US, uh, sorry, a Chinese embassy was operating in the middle of a U.S. election. What do you recall that the embassy was reporting back about what was happening in the U.S. election cycle? Uh, you know, it's, what uh, we tried to do was to help people in the States uh, to have a better understanding of China. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, to uh, work to resolve problems uh, that uh, sort of, uh, uh, that the war uh, were, were there mm -hmm. uh, to be resolved. And uh, I think this is a, a not easy job. It's a, it's a big challenge for you and for us. Uh, because uh, for one thing, you know, the relationship uh, was uh, not a, a, a very friendly one, a very hostile one, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the perception of China for a long time uh, was uh, an enemy or a communist country. And, so I think our job is to help people to perceive China in the correct way, in a way that is uh, mutually beneficial and uh, true uh, to, the, uh, to the to the reality. And so for that early time, then in the 70s and, and early 1980s, I assume your ambassador traveled around different parts of the U.S. to get that message out. Is mm -hmm. that true? So yes. it didn't only stay yes. in Washington. Do you have yeah. any recollection of any specific trip that you went on that you thought, oh, uh, you went to Iowa or to Alabama or someplace, and you thought, oh, that's kind of an interesting place. Do you have any recollection of those, of any trips outside of Washington, D.C. that stick in your mind from that time? Uh, I uh, actually wrote uh, uh, memories, 
wrote the memoirs, uh, recollecting uh, you know those uh, years, uh, working as the ambassador's assistant, and then uh, working as the minister of the embassy, and then me myself uh, working as the ambassador. So uh, we tried to reach out as much as we can. So we traveled a lot. The ambassador, uh, I mean the uh, uh, first ambassador, Tai mm-hmm. Ming traveled uh, very extensively. So I traveled with him. Uh, I mean to, uh, to many, many different places. And uh, we found uh, actually at a level, grassroots level, uh, people uh, were friendly. They wanted to have a good relationship, but they do not understand uh, uh, China very well. And so that was a critical part of the job was just explaining China to the American public yeah. and to the American press. Yes. Uh, I wonder on the uh, telling people in Beijing about what was happening in Washington, again, with this election that was a change in administration uh, from the Democrat Jimmy Carter to the Republican Ronald Reagan, uh, did you feel that you had to explain American politics to your colleagues back here in Beijing? I think, uh, you know, uh, your embassy and our embassy, you know, are doing the same thing, you know, to help uh, the government and people, you know, in your country or in our country to have a uh, right perception of what's happening. And uh, we uh, avoid as much as we can to take sides, Mm -hmm. uh, because that's your domestic politics. And... uh, so, particularly in years of uh, general election, so it's a very sensitive issue. So our job is to uh, report back. So what's all, all about? What is going on? And what's all that about? You came to the U.S. at a time when, after 1978-79, Deng Xiaoping was launching kind of reform and opening. So China's foreign and domestic policies were changing. As a Chinese diplomat, how did mm-hmm. that kind of change your role, did you feel like, on the ground in the United States? China and the uh, United States uh, uh, are not the same you know, now. Uh, if you compare uh, what we sort of uh, are confronted with now with uh, things that we were confronted then, the world has changed a lot. Uh, but uh, there have been things which uh, will not change. So I think uh, uh, what we need is a mutually beneficial cooperation. And that is the only right option for you and for, for the United States. Uh, and uh, neither country has taken advantage of the other. Uh, because, uh, you know, I think I want to make this point because uh, there are people in the United States who were saying that China took advantage of the United States. And I think that's not true. And uh, opening up and integration uh, represents the right direction in, in our relationship. And neither China nor the United States can move ahead without the other. So I think this is very, very sort of uh, uh, important. And uh, in a conflict and a confrontation uh, will lead nowhere. And neither country can move the other in the sort of one's own uh, image. So this is also very important. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. Talking on that, I wonder, I mean, I guess I should, for our younger listeners who yeah. might not have been around in the Cold War, yeah. could you just talk a little bit about the uh, 
Sino-Soviet split and then the, the reconciliation between China and Soviet Union and how U.S.-China relations fit into the Cold War at that time. From the United States' point of view, we had a, a long time struggle with the Soviet Union and, and um, that, that ended when the Berlin Wall came down. But China played an important role in that kind of uh, triangle. As a diplomat on the ground in Washington in the late 70s and early 1980s, the Cold War was, I don't want to say on everyone's mind, but it was a very important fact of foreign policy. How, how um, you had mentioned in your remarks just now, the um, need for understanding on the other side. How did you feel that um, your job as a diplomat or, or your ambassador's job at the Mustard side was changed or influenced by being uh, in the middle of the Cold War at the time that our two countries were normalizing relations? Uh, you know, Cold War ended. Uh, that's, a, that's a very important uh, uh, historical sort of uh, uh, accomplishment yeah. because no one could uh, benefit from the uh, confrontation. Yeah. And uh, the world is moving in the direction of multipolar, you know, multipolar direction. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the former Soviet Union uh, was, sort of was, uh, was uh, trying to develop a hegemony. And uh, China could not uh, tolerate that. So that's why China and Soviet Union, I mean, the relationship uh, broke up. Yeah. Uh, but now, of course, the Russia is n is no longer uh, what uh, this former Soviet Union used to be. Yeah, so it's a multipolar world, and the relations between China and Russia are getting better and better. So, uh, so we hope uh, you know people will understand uh, you know what we have is a multipolar world, and uh, what we need is uh, uh, a uh, peaceful and uh, stable work situation. Uh, but that will not be easy, yes. That's an interesting yeah. um, historical context. Thank you for that, Ambassador Joel. I mm -hmm. wonder if you could talk a little bit about that changeover in the Chinese view from the Cold War, which was such a defining part of foreign policy for both of our countries in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s, until this view of multipolarity uh, you've been around for a very long time through a lot of that. Um, how did how did you think the Chinese position changed from the Cold War being the defining moment of international relations to how the Chinese government sees things now, which is multipolarity as the main kind of definition of where foreign relations are? Can you talk just a little bit about how that switch, I don't want to say happened, but that thinking from the Cold War being the defining characteristic of international relations to where we are today, which is the Chinese view that their multipolarity is the driving force of uh, explaining how countries interact with each other. The Cold War actually was uh, a, a war between the two camps. At that time, the world was divided into two camps, uh, ideologically, in ideological terms. But uh, this uh, was no longer, it's no longer the case. And uh, so the former Soviet Union eventually broke up uh, because of uh, its uh, uh, overreach. Yeah. It uh, overreached itself. Uh, 
But I think uh, the United States should not uh, follow the uh, suit, because what uh, you know the uh, administration should uh, realize that uh, uh, the world is getting more and more multipolarized, and uh, what we need is cooperation, consultation. There are problems, but the problems can only be resolved through peaceful uh, consultation and uh, uh, negotiations. Uh, no one should uh, try to hold uh, others about. Yeah. On the issue of cooperation, one of the main things that our two countries were working on in the uh, 1990s, and I'd like to move forward to your time as the minister counselor at the Chinese embassy in Washington in the mid and late 1990s, one of the things our two countries were working on was nonproliferation and stemming the flow of technology that could help weapons of mass destruction and delivery systems. Um, I'd worked for a, a short time for Jeff Bader when he was at the White House and the Clinton administration, both when Jiang Zemin came to Washington and when President Clinton came here on his 10-day trip. Uh, could you just talk a little bit from your point of view as the person at the embassy dealing with the United States, what you recall about nonproliferation as an issue between our two countries and then on your work on setting up these high-level visits and why they were important from the Chinese point of view. I was the minister of the embassy at that time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the, the perception of China uh, uh, sort of uh, evolved uh, gradually, uh, or rather changed from administration to administration, uh, depending on uh, your policy towards China, yeah. and depending on the public opinions yeah, about China, uh, China was uh, perceived as a as a, as a ally, or then uh, perceived by uh, the Obama Obama administration as a rival as well as a partner, and now China is being perceived as a rival, hundred percent rival, yeah, uh, or or across. The, uh, the horizon. So this is a very uh, worrisome uh, developed uh, change. Yeah. And uh, I hope China will be, uh, would be perceived as in the rightly. And uh, China, actually our leader uh, has made it very clear. Uh, China doesn't want to challenge anyone. China you know, doesn't know, does not want to replace anyone. And uh, so we have this. We I think we what we need to uh, try to uh, you know help you to 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 make it right is that you know we should develop mutual trust. Yeah. As the foreign ministry was really the 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 pointy end of the spear in establishing diplomatic relations as it should be and on our side, the State Department and the White House. Um, as our bilateral relationship has grown, there are lots of different agencies involved and we had a range of different dialogues to kind of do that. I guess I would just ask as someone who's been in the system, maybe moving to your time as vice minister here in Beijing of foreign affairs handling the United States, how did you find working with all of the different agencies on the Chinese side? I will say as someone on the US side, who's worked in the White House and the State Department and, and the U.S. Trade Representative Office, our uh, 
consolidating our position was not always easy in working with our Chinese counterparts. Sometimes our internal negotiations were more difficult than our negotiations with the Chinese side. But I wonder from your point of view as someone who worked in the foreign ministry, which was the lead on all these things, and then worked all the way through to being vice minister, and there were a lot of different agencies involved. How did you see that job, say, when you were vice minister of coordinating the Chinese government side and interacting with the United States? There, there used to be three joint committees between China and the United States. And, uh, you know, uh, there, 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 there was a, a lead agency for each of the three uh, uh, joint committees. So, so that's a very good uh, sort of uh, 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 structure mm -hmm. for, for quite some time. But unfortunately, they stopped working. So that's a problem, what we have uh, you know, now in our relationship. And of course, uh, uh, very soon they will sign the first phase agreement on the 15th. And the two teams uh, you know, on our side, uh, led by Vice Premier Liu He and on your side by the, uh, the White House advisor, Goodello, and then of course uh, the uh, Lighthizer. Uh, but the structure is still not very clear. So there are other things. So who, uh, what, what kind of uh, uh, structure we should have, you know, to 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 fill fill the in the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of the space left by the three joint committees. Yeah. Could you talk? Thank you for bringing that up. One of the reasons I wanted to do this project was to not forget what these commissions were like and how to. Uh, work at a bilateral relationship across a range of different issues. Uh, could you just mention one of the com committees that you had noted and who was the lead on the Chinese side and how you saw that that progress? So there was there was a, uh, a commerce committee, joint committee on commerce and trade, mm -hmm. and the foreign the, uh, the minister of uh, commerce uh, was used to be the lead agency, and there was another one that is uh, uh, culture and science joint committee. And uh, so the Ministry of Education and the Ministry of Science and Technology, they played a very important role, a leading role, yeah. But uh, they were no longer there. So that's a, that's a very worrisome problem. Right. Yeah. Well, one of the hopes, as I said, with this project is we'll, by talking to Americans and Chinese, we'll have some historical memory uh, about how we used to I do this. They, uh, some people are advocating decoupling. Mm -hmm. So I don't know whether this is part of the decoupling. Mm -hmm. I hope uh, the administration, the president, uh, would not accept uh, the uh, suggestions by those who were advocating uh, decoupling. And what this, this is a word that's only entered the U.S. usage for the last maybe year and a half. What do you see as what decoupling means? I don't know, because uh, it has not been uh, defined. What do they mean by mm -hmm. decoupling? Yeah. And what's the word that the Chinese side uses for decoupling? Togo. 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 To pull off, I guess. Huh? Cut off. Yeah, cut off, yeah. Um, on I mean, one of the kind of most fractious times in our relationship, uh, you were in the middle of it all. And I spoke to our ambassador here at the time when I was here, uh, Joe Prier, who was an admiral, uh, uh. during the EP3 incident in which yeah. our two planes collided over Hainan Island. I believe you were the Vice Minister of Foreign Affairs yeah, at the yeah, time. Yeah. Um, a challenging time that that, uh, yes. that both sides managed yeah. without conflict. Yeah. Could you just talk about your recollection of that and uh, 
from the Chinese point of view, what you were trying to accomplish in uh, uh, avoiding conflict or avoiding um, escalation? Uh, this is a very unfortunate uh, uh, incident. And uh, the United States, uh, you know, we want you to apologize. And uh, they don't want to use the word uh, to apologize. And they argue that uh, that was too formal. And uh, so what they could do was to say sorry. And then we insisted that uh, you should also say sorry to the Chinese people, not just to the members of uh, the members of the family of the different uh, the pilot. You should say sorry to the Chinese people, and also to his uh, uh, comrades in arms. Yeah. Uh, eventually, uh, they accepted. And uh, also, they uh, said very, very, very sorry. Yeah. It's uh, not uh, because both sides realize, uh, you know, it's a problem which needs to be resolved. Otherwise, uh, the relations uh, will, uh, will will not uh, be able to move ahead. Yeah. At that time, the Bush administration had only been in office a couple of months. Mm -hmm. It was. Uh, April 2001, so mm -hmm. they'd been in power for about three months. Mm -hmm. Was it frustrating from the Chinese point of view that it didn't seem like there was anyone in charge, or is that not what you remember? Uh, because we were watching. I mean, uh, because uh, after he took office, he, uh, the president uh, uh, once uh, phrased China as a strategic economic uh, rival. Uh, so we were watching uh, what uh, that meant and uh, what he was about to do. But of course, uh, there, there came this uh, the, the, uh, sort of incident. Yeah. But incident uh, was resolved uh, in a way with not a very uh, we accepted because uh, we wanted the relationship to continue. But uh, it's not uh, very satisfactory as far as uh, we are concerned because uh, you know they did not apologize formally. Yeah. And just for background, the two planes collided. The American plane landed on Hainan Island, and the Chinese plane and pilot were lost. And so the apology that you're talking about is the damage to the plane and also the loss of life for the Chinese pilot mm -hmm. who was killed. Um, a couple of months after that, the 9-11 attacks happened. Mm. That kind of changed the Bush administration's foreign policy away, as mm. you had said, from this uh, potentially hardening view of China to mm. focusing on the global war on, on terror uh, and the invasions of Afghanistan mm. and Iraq. Mm. Um, I was working at uh, here at the embassy and then in, in Washington, mm. both at the White House and the State Department during that time. How do you think... 9-11 uh, changed U.S.-China relations, or how, does, how was it viewed here in Beijing, uh, how this, this global incident changed bilateral relations? Yeah, terrorism is a common enemy you know, for all countries. And we support the U.S. in its uh, efforts, uh, anti-terrorist efforts. And uh, so at that time, that was the number one priority yeah, for you and for us. And China was a victim too, yeah, in terms of uh, terrorism, yeah. 
kind of changed all parts of U.S. foreign policy that we're still still mm. adjusting to this mm. day. Mm. I, I wonder, and I know um, we're short on time. I wonder if I could just move to your time as ambassador mm. to the United States. Mm. You served as ambassador to Australia and then to the United States uh, as an ambassador to China. Um, you had access to, generally speaking, a, a deputy secretary of state, is that right? Or the secretary of state, depending on the issue, if the issue was kind of urgent in terms of who you were allowed to see on the US side, is that right? Hmm. Um, how did you see your job different in, uh, say, Australia versus the United States? Or how, how did you had been in the US so many times and you knew the United States really well? How did you see the main Thing that you were supposed to be doing or your main task as ambassador during that time, which was the end of the Bush administration, beginning of the Obama administration. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, I think uh, uh, the job is to make sure that uh, there will be a smooth transition. Uh, you know, of course, some of that was uh, U.S. domestic politics. So we are very clear about it. But uh, we also... By clear, you meaning not interfering in U.S. domestic politics? I mean, uh, China was... Uh, they, 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 their perception of China are not quite the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The two they, administrations. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, the change came partly from the domestic politics, partly from the, uh, you know, what they see China, their perception of China. Yeah. So our job is to make sure that uh, their perception is uh, would be acceptable at least mm -hmm. by, 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 by China and workable also in sort of uh, in terms of day-to-day uh, -day, uh, running of the uh, relationship. Uh, One of the aspects that I recall when I was working in policy planning at the time yeah. at the State Department was the maintenance and an expansion in some ways of the strategic economic dialogue mm -hmm. to the strategic and economic dialogue mm -hmm. that is including on the U.S. side, yeah, yeah. the Department of Treasury right, and right. the Department of yeah, State, yeah. and on the Chinese side, kind of yeah. adding in the foreign ministry. Right, right. Uh, I, I don't think I'd be betraying any secrets to say that was challenging on the U.S. side yeah. as two ministries tried to yeah. work together. Um, on the Chinese side, I, my perception was there was a, a welcoming of expanding the discussion and the number of agencies involved. Mm. But maybe you could just talk a little bit about how mm. at the beginning of the Obama administration you saw the strategic and economic mm. dialogue and kind of what, what the Chinese side mm. saw as a benefit of that. I think the background is that uh, the uh, three joint committees uh, stopped uh, functioning. And uh, I think maybe one reason is that uh, uh, the three joint committees were committees at the level of ministries and uh, at the level of your departments. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's difficult for one ministry to try to negotiate things with other ministries. And also the same thing is true of your side. It would be difficult for your one department to try to ne negotiate with other departments. Then uh, Zolik came up with this idea that is to set up a strategic economic and trade commission which would be led by him, and on our side, by one of the vice premiers at the level of state council. So it's a more authoritative you know, structure. And uh, so it's uh, easier for the uh, Strategic Economic and Trade Committee to try to talk to one another 
more authoritatively. And uh, to, you know, after the uh, meeting, then they will try to have things done by departments involved under the leadership of the uh, presiding uh, vice premier and on your side by, by Zolik mm -hmm. because he has the trust uh, of, the, of the president. And on the Chinese side, the importance of the state council as opposed to a minister is, is what? Why, why is that important on the Chinese state side? State council is, uh, is uh, at the top. And uh, the uh, different ministries uh, need to report to the state council. So they are, of course, they need to take, take orders. And so being able to tell more than one ministry what to do yeah. is just critically important as right, a way right, to right. work on issues that yeah. expanded beyond one, yeah, yeah, one yeah, ministry. Yeah. And yeah. the ministers are all members of that. Uh, sort of, of the state council. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also members, of some, some of the ministers of the uh, selected way, they, they took part in the uh, strategic joint, uh, strategic and economic committee mm. yeah, meeting. Um, I just wanted to conclude, yeah. uh, Ambassador Joe, you've yeah. been very generous with your time. Yeah. Uh, you were the Secretary General of the Boal Forum yes. for eight years, for, for, eight years yeah. for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, I just w wonder if you could talk a little bit about maybe China's role in the world and how you saw that job as a continuation of your foreign ministry career. The uh, Boal Forum is a non-governmental uh, organization. It's, uh, so. Uh, uh, well, it, next year, they will celebrate uh, the 20th anniversary of the uh, founding of that uh, organization. Yeah. And uh, now it has a board of 19 members. Yeah. The current chairman of the board is uh, the former uh, Secretary General of the United Nations, Pan Ki Moon. And uh, the purpose of that uh, forum is to, the members are all uh, commercial entities. Uh, they are different, uh, you know, from different countries, mostly from Asia. And uh, it, will, uh, it was attended uh, every year by some 2,000 members, uh, some 2,000 uh, uh, sort of uh, different uh, uh, people from the, from, from the uh, economic, commercial, you know, front. So the, the uh, leader uh, would be invited the Chinese leaders would be invited to attend the opening ceremony and deliver a uh, speech. And uh, then uh, the Chinese government uh, would invite a number of uh, foreign leaders to attend the opening ceremony. So when I was there for the eight years, uh, we had the pleasure and honor to have uh, the president and the premier to open the, uh, our forum uh, for quite a few times. Well, Ambassador Joe, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on an incredible <laughs> career. I really My appreciate pleasure. your time today. Yeah, yeah. Wish uh, you a great success. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah. Ambassador Zhou Wenzhong speaking with me from Beijing. You've been listening to the U.S.-China Dialogue podcast from Georgetown University. I'm your host, James Green.